Hello and welcome to A Couple of Europhiles. My name is Bailey Alexander and I'm here with Francis to discuss cultural realities. We discuss history and recent events, but sometimes it's the right time to go local and focus on Italy, where we live. We're coming at you from Trento, specifically Lake Garda, which is about two hours west of Venice and one hour northwest of Verona, to give you a sense of where we two sit. So today we're going to contrast Piemonte and Trento, two regions located in northern Italy. We've lived in both, and we can relay some of their finer qualities. In fact, I'm writing a book about Piemonte called Once Upon a Time in Loazzolo, where I interview 12 Piemontese. Basically, it's like entering a galaxy of talent, because so many of Italy's fine products come from there. But here on Lake Garda, they have their own specialties. In particular, their olive oil. It's considered by many the finest in the world. In fact, they call it liquid gold. So hey, check it out and get a bottle. It's not cheap, but it is worth a small investment. And hey, Francis, where would you like to start? Where shall we begin? Oh, goodness. Well, Piemonte and Trento. Italy is a country that's full of contrasts, big differences, big regional and, and even local differences between one town and another, let alone between regions. Trento is a particularly interesting region because Right, and what do we what do we call that Italian? Campanilismo. Campanilismo, exactly. The loyalty to one's own church steeple. <laughs> um, basically, it's Italians generally feel far more attached to their own local stuff than they do to the country as a whole. And in general, the average Italian does in fact put Italy down quite a bit because he doesn't feel connected to it in the same way that he would feel connected to his own town or region. So Trento is interesting because it's an autonomous province, and that means that all of the taxes that are collected in Trento are spent in Trento. It doesn't subsidize any of the other regions in Italy. And there are five special provinces like that, including Sicily, Sardinia, Trento, Val d'Aosta, and Friuli, Venezia, Giulia. So the, um, you know, Trento, Trentino, and, and Alto Adige is a, is a very interesting part of the whole mix. It's the mountains, as I'm sure you know. And in the middle of the mountains, there's the biggest lake in Italy, which is Lake Garda. And on the shores of Lake Garda, we have a lot of olive groves, where, as you said earlier, uh, we make some of the finest olive oil in, uh, in Italy. Yes, indeed. Let's not forget that Lake Garda is considered the windsurfing capital of Europe. It's a fantastic place. It's just absolutely packed in summertime with all sorts of events. Yeah, every, every day the wind blows reliably and strongly on the lake because of the way the mountains are formed. And that means that you're always guaranteed to have a certain amount of wind. Plus, it's, uh, it's beautiful. So there are a tremendous amount of uh, water sports and activities. And they have uh, serious competitions on windsurfing and kite surfing, uh, which is fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, I like to say that Piemonte is the secret that needs to be told because not a lot of foreigners, or shall I say more specifically Americans, as well as some parts of Europe, are not aware of Piemonte and its benefits. It's not as well known. But uh, here on Lake Garda, it is quite well known and appreciated specifically by the Germans. And uh, I like to joke that this area used to be owned by Austria, and the Germans are coming back to reclaim it. But anyway, you have that funny phrase, that way of explaining why so many Germans like to holiday here. Yeah. So the Germans like to come to Italy for their holidays because it's cold and miserable up north. 
and uh, but they don't like to really come down into Italy as much. They like to stay relatively close to Germany, and they like the fact that everybody here speaks German and that things are designed to cater to the German tourists with a lot of German restaurants and so forth and so on. So when they drive to Italy on vacation, they come down from the Brenner Pass, and the first palm tree that uh, you see uh, south of the Brenner Pass is where we are in Riva, and they just stop there and decide that that's good enough. We're, we're still close to Germany, but we've got palm trees and, and beach, and that's good. We're going to stay here. Yeah, and just that drive alone is worth the visit to Lake Garda. Um, I think I have two friends so far that are coming to visit in the next couple of months, and one girlfriend in particular is really looking forward to driving along the water, along the lake, and through all of these atmospheric tunnels. It's just phenomenal. I mean, most people come down for the water sports and the cycling with their motorcycles. They travel on two wheels, but seriously, I've been on a lot of fantastic scenic drives throughout Europe. Uh, southern France, obviously southern Italy along the Amalfi Coast is a favorite through the Alps. But this drive is simply gorgeous. Yeah, the trouble with the tunnels is that they were built back in the days when, uh, you know, cars and uh, horses and so forth are much uh, narrower than they are today. So it can be a challenge uh, having two cars pass each other in some of that, some of those tunnels. But it is, uh, is a pretty drive. The whole of the lake goes down. It's quite a big lake. It's the biggest lake in Italy. And the southern end of the lake, it's the opposite from us, is about 50 kilometers away, is uh, Salò, which is famous because that's where Mussolini was, was established when, when he had his breakaway Republic of Salò in the last days of the fascist uh, regime. The Germans figured they could defend him there, so they parked him there when he lost the rest of Italy. And uh, yeah, no, Lake Garda's uh, Lake Garda's great. It uh, has a lot of Venetian influence. The east side of the lake is part of Veneto. The west side of the lake is part of Lombardy. And the very tip top north of the lake, uh, just a couple of kilometers, is uh, is Trentino. And they call it uh, you know the Trentino Ocean, you know, because Trentino is all mountains, and, and this is the biggest and only lake that they really have. We're part of that. Riva itself was founded by the Venetians, and you can see. The Lion of St. Mark on many of the buildings in the downtown area. Yeah, I mean, Lake Garda is just such a special place in many ways. You know, I just posted happily, I was kind of ecstatic about how Italy had recently cut our energy costs by 10%. And wow, is that ever welcome in this modern world. But we were talking about this region, right, Francis, and how many different ways they produce energy. I don't know, perhaps this is true throughout Italy, but specifically here. Well, yeah, uh, as probably people are tired of hearing me talk about this, but energy policy is one of the two must-have essentials that you need to provide. It's just non-negotiable. So Italy itself, as a country, generates about half of its power from natural gas, uh, which makes it very dependent on the Russians. But here in Trentino, we have a lot of hydropower because we're in the mountains. We also have solar. We have we have other sources of power uh, coming in, and it's uh, it's quite complicated. Yeah, April first, the government's intervention has resulted in a ten percent drop in the electricity price. But let's not forget that uh, prices from uh, like two years ago, before the energy crunch started, were eighty percent lower. So it's almost doubled since uh, since the energy crisis began. But the Italians decided that enough was enough. 
and the government has intervened to reduce the prices now. The energy price is interesting, especially the gasoline price, because well over half of the actual price that you see at the pump is taxes. So the government can actually control what the price of the pump is quite a bit because they just, uh, they just decide not to collect as much tax. Normally, they collect a lot of tax to encourage people to drive less and uh, you know save uh, energy costs and so forth and so on. But in a crisis like this, they have the leeway to intervene to make sure that essential trips are still possible. And they have, in fact, done so uh, April 1st. Okay, hey, so let's get back to food and product and comparing Trento to Piemonte. I mean, all of Italy is fantastic in this land where pasta is al dente and the coffee tastes like milkshake. I always like to use that phrase. So this weekend, I'm looking forward to visiting some places and researching specifically why the olive oil is so special. I don't know. I just simply enjoy eating and drinking here more than any other place. I find that both the food and the drink is so blissfully mild and kind to the diet, to the stomach. But what do you know about the olive oil? Anything to add on that front? You know, I'm not really an expert on it, but the people here in uh, in Trentino are very are famous for very high quality products, and olive oil is no exception. You know, the olives clearly grow well here. Uh, of course, they also grow well in southern Italy as well. Olives are trees that need a lot of sunshine, so you wouldn't expect necessarily that the uh, that the olives would be so much better up here in the mountains than they are down south. But, uh, you know, they've built a reputation over over many many years, and you can see the olives, uh, olive trees blooming and and producing olives uh, all the way on your drives down the lake. They, they grow these olive trees in places where you can't really grow anything else, really steep hills and so forth. And, and they collect them and, and, and produce this olive oil. They have state-of-the-art olive presses that uh, produce the, the olive oil. And it's generally priced at a premium compared to all of the other oils. Tuscany produces, of course, far more olive oil than we do. But the olive oil from here is considered a delicacy and is highly prized. It's more of a connoisseur's thing. And then when we get into the wine, uh, the white grapes dominate the scene here in Trento compared to the world-famous reds in Piemonte like Barolo, Babresco, and Barbera. But here in Trento, which is probably one of the smallest wine-growing regions in Italy, the white wines get the best attention. And I think the U.S. is Trentino's number one export market for their Pinot Grigio, which leads the pack that I think I read Chardonnay and uh, Mueller Thurgo. And of course there's Lugana, that's Another, they, they refer to this also as liquid gold. But of course, there's nothing to compare with the amount of and quality of wine that the Piemontese produce. It's an extraordinary focus the Piemontese have on creating all these products. But when we get to the personality of a place, um, I think I find the people of Lake Garda a little warmer, a little more social perhaps, because of the water, which lends to a more emotional quality, or perhaps it's because I'm from Seattle, I don't know. I can identify with them more maybe a little bit more sentimental, whereas the Piemontese are such a strong tribe built by their mountains, a tough tribe and talented to be sure, but there's this quality of uh, this headstrong mentality. What do they call it, Francis? A testadura? Something like that? Yeah, Piemontese are generally rugged individualists. Uh, I used to joke with you, and you didn't get it until later, that, that they're, really, they're really Italian rednecks. You know, they, uh, they're they self-sufficient, uh, they repair their own houses, they fix their own stuff, they help their neighbors out, you know, and they have harsh winters, 
And they're also very quality focused and, and produce some of the best wines in the world. And, you know, the cheese, and all of the all of the many agricultural products that Piemonte is famous for. Piemonte is also extremely diverse. Uh, it's one region, which is, uh, you know, relatively uh, small. Yeah, just a few hundred miles or so uh, of, of distance, but it's completely different, you know, where my family is from in Limone in the mountains. They have skiing, they have all sorts of, uh, it's, a, it's a tourist resort, it's, uh, it's got some of the most diverse biology, uh, you know, biodiversity in the world, flowers and, and herbs, and they make uh, an alcohol called Genepi, which is uh, particularly exceptional. And then on the other side of Piemonte, you have Vercelli and the rice paddies, which are completely flat, no mountains, with uh, little castles poking out of the mist. Uh, surrounded by rice paddies, which have the whole tenor of life is centered around the rice harvest. And then you have Biela with its shepherds and the wool. And all of its corporations, almost a corporate sensibility. Yeah, it's, it's a corporate place. I mean, but it was basically textiles. You know, they're famous for having those caves where they can season the wool and make some of the finest wool in the world for, you know, world-class fashion houses such as Zegna, which is based there. And then you have Torino, which used to be the capital of Italy. It's a city, it's a metropolis, um, has a famous university, is uh, uh, famous for uh, dark magic, as you know. Has, you know, It's just so diverse, right? You, you go through Piemonte and you find big, big differences in the way people behave, even the languages they speak. The, the various dialects of Piemontese are, are quite different from each other. Trentino is much, much smaller. Uh, has a very interesting history and is sort of like uh, the, the average Trentini are, are kind of a blend of the best parts of Italian and German. They're organized, they're they're friendly, they're, they're they know what they're doing. They have a low tolerance for disorganization and, and chaos, and the places just run really well. And you can feel the difference, um, and everything is different, right? The health system is different. The grocery stores are different. Everything is uh, is really unique, and that's 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 special about Italy. Uh, you just don't get that in other countries where where everything really changes. Yeah, I mean Piemonte is somewhat isolated. In fact, it almost requires a car to get around and truly absorb a lot of its best qualities and uh, some of their best human qualities, which really came uh, apparent in these interviews. I I completed in this book. I mean, over and over again, there were three themes that returned, family, work, and tradition. And it really served to, uh, it really restored the faith, this almost rearguard action against fast-moving modernity. This almost, I don't know, this, this, uh, this resistance to the fast-paced, increasingly plastic-feeling world at times. It's charming. It's really charming. And again, to go back to the beginning of our podcast, uh, forever this strong sense of uh, campanilismo, this pride, it kind of allows them to appear content because of its focus and its simplicity on the, on all these award-winning products. And I think the readers will find it very charming, very different from Lake Garda, which is a completely different vibe, yeah? Very different vibe, um, but still mountains. You know, Piemonte means foot of the mountains, if you translate the actual word. And you can always see the mountains from everywhere, but it's also the birth of the Po Valley, which is the largest flat area in Italy. And, you know, it has this tremendous diversity, whereas Trentino is all mountains. There's no place in Trentino that is 
not mountainous. It's much smaller, and it has an interesting uh, love-hate relationship with Alto Adige, which is the next province up, which is Bolzano, which uh, really wanted to be Austrian. And uh, and they've got now the they, they, all the road signs up there in two languages and so forth. And they merged the two things together so that the majority would slightly be Italian-speaking from both provinces together to justify being uh, being part of Italy instead of being part of Austria. And also this this word that I keep bringing up, campanilismo, this, this sense of pride, it works both ways because sometimes it goes against them and their ability to market because a lot of Piemontese would like to market their products more effectively, I think more aggressively. But in order to do that, they would need to have a more united front, kind of like they do in the Barolo part of Piemonte. Well, you know, you, you've got to understand that nobody in Piemonte really feels Piemontese per se. They all feel that they belong to their village. You know, they have these huge rivalries, like the famous one between Canelli and Nizza, where, you know, they would never do anything together ever, because for hundreds of years, they've basically been, been competing with each other. If you go to the Palio in Asti, which is one of the oldest horse races in the world, each of the Contradas bring their horses up and each neighborhood in the city of Asti considers itself independent from the rest of the city of Asti, which is only one town in, in the province. It's, uh, you know, it breaks down almost into family groups. And that does tend to make it difficult to collaborate on big projects. However, it also provides a kind of resilience because people are used to having to rely on nobody but their family, right? They don't actually expect anything from either the national or the provincial governments or the regional governments. If they have a problem, they just go to the sindaco in the comune, and that's it. They never go beyond that. So, you know, it's, it, it leads for an interesting uh, um, kind of dichotomy. You, you just don't, it's, it's a kind of contraposition that, that is, a, is a very interesting social experiment to observe. But you need to look for it, right? I mean, tourists are never going to see that because they don't spend long enough in the town to understand the dynamic. But if you're a long-term resident like we are, it's very fascinating and you can study it for a long time. You know, there's this, there's another trait the Italians have worn well, and it's this idea of traveling with the trade. Um, many years ago, I think it was a business partner of yours from Milano. His father was from Udine, near Venice, and he wrote this wonderful book about why Italians often travel better than others. And I just never forgot this particular book and its perspective. He was talking about Italians traveling specifically to America. Uh, maybe it was a simple craft of sharpening knives, something, anything. And of course, one of the interviews in my book, Once Upon a Time in Loetzolo, I interviewed your mother and uh, she's originally from Limoni Pimonte and she goes back every year. There's still the family place. And her story was just extraordinary. Uh, actually, your mother was one of the Piemontese that got away, that left, mm -hmm. even though she doesn't live so far away in the south of France. But once upon a time, back in 1958, your parents had moved to New York. They were young and broke and living in a small studio apartment, sleeping on the floor. So one day, your mother, Rita, who had taught herself how to sew at the early age of 10, she, uh, she was desperate for an education and... Uh, skill sets because when young girls from Limone Piemonte when they after the age of 10 they weren't offered an education in fact the boys had to go to Cuneo to continue anyway your parents uh, they were broke in New York and your mother barely spoke a word of English but one day she decided to go knock on some doors in Manhattan 
and uh, I don't think this could happen today. But anyway, she went knocking on some doors, and a month later, she was the head seamstress for Skazi, a major, major designer back in the day. And uh, she was head seamstress for Skazi, and she was hand-delivering dresses to Mamie Eisenhower at the White House, all because she had traveled with a trade and figured out how to sell it. She had that, uh, she had that strong Piemontese trait, a testadura, a hard head, as we talked about earlier. Anyway, it's a trip, and it, it often feels like I live in a country of artisans. That's because you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It, it comes down to that self-sufficiency, and that's not just a regional thing. The South is just the same way. I mean, all those kids from the South, they all go out and become the pizzaiolo and the pizzerias do things uh, themselves, as just like the Piemontese do. And um, everyone really in Italy is self-sufficient. And it's that self-sufficiency, which is one of the hallmarks of Italy. There is very little opportunity in Italy for entrepreneurs to make it, uh, you know, it, the, there's a it's totally starved of investment. Uh, there's not a risk-taking culture. You can't get financing and so forth and so on like you can in America. But, you know, the talent is there. And Italians who have left have uh, contributed significantly to the places that they've gone to. Uh, for example, the microprocessor was uh, patented at Intel by an Italian immigrant from Vicenza, which is not far from here. And, you know, Italians... Marconi inventing the radio and so forth and so on. They've been they've been all over the place. But here in the homeland, you know, that creativity, that artisans, the quest for perfection manifests itself in little things that are not necessarily economically successful, but uh, but everybody gets by and, and everybody's proud of what they're doing. So it's uh, it's a very pleasant place to live. So what else do you want to compare and contrast between Trento and Piemonte? Well, of course, everything is different everywhere, but um, we were in uh, Asti province in Piemonte, and there, you know, trying to get paperwork done was one of the Dante's seven circles of hell. I mean, it was unbelievable how long it takes to get a document done or a driving license or, or whatever, whereas here in uh, in Trentino, they can't even believe that there's any problems because it's just like Germany. You go, you fill in your form, you tick a box, you get your paper. Wow. And you're sitting on, what do you mean I don't have to wait a year and go to 15 different stores? You know, here it just all works. So it is a very, very different experience if you're trying to run a business uh, in Trentino than it is in Piemonte. On the other hand, you know, Piemonte is a much bigger, vibrant, more productive place. And, you know, the Depends what your fancy is. Nobody's as self-sufficient or as hard-headed as the people over in Piemonte. They founded Italy, after all, you know, by, by just not being willing to accept compromises. And, you know, that's a good thing in many ways and can be a pain in other ways, but still. Whereas in Trentino, they've had, they're more recently part of Italy than the other parts because they were essentially the last part of Italy to join Italy. And, you know, my, my aunt remembers as a little girl when the Italian authorities came up to the schools and said, now you have to teach everybody in Italian because we've decided you're no longer part of Austria and the schools are now going to teach in Italian. The locals up there were a little upset about this. But, you know, that's it's recent, right? I mean, it's, it's one generation away from us. So it's, it's still a, a very interesting mix. 
So I hope this uh, this podcast inspired some people to come and visit. Visit Lake Garda, such a hot destination spot. And Piemonte is a magical place with all those vineyards, all that wine and fantastic food, all those truffles and treasured hazelnuts that make that Swiss chocolate taste so good. All nestled at the foot of the Alps, you're surrounded by the French and Swiss Alps. It's visually stunning. And like I said, it is the secret that needs to be told. And that's why I'm writing a book about it. All of these ordinary people doing extraordinary things in what is literally considered a magical place. And I go into that in my book as I talk to award-winning cheesemakers and winemakers. I interview Luigi, the car mechanic, because we all know how much Italians love their cars, not to sound too irreverent. But they're chefs and bar owners and herbalists, people I learned all sorts of lessons from. And I really am trying to convey the essence of their character through my essays. And of course, their interviews, let them speak for themselves. So hey, I hope you enjoyed our podcast, and please check out my essays and little films on baileyalexander.com. So for now, arrivederci. And hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Ciao, ciao.